people of God in Christ, as we continue to look at uh, Jacob's prophecies concerning his sons, this morning we cover six more of his sons. Last time it was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Uh, This morning we hear about Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. If you're keeping track or just looking at the text, uh, you will see that that leaves two more, Joseph and Benjamin, to cover next time, the Lord willing. And last time I made the case for taking uh, this chapter of Genesis uh, portion by portion, and and the case might be made further this week as we notice that uh, with the first four sons, there are some quite specific things said about each of them, things that uh, they did in the past, sad things, of course, and, and things that we can see coming true in the life and character of these four sons of Jacob. Remember Jacob's opening words, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. With Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Jacob's prophecy about them was somewhat more specific. And with the last two, Joseph and Benjamin, especially concerning Joseph, the prophecy of Jacob again comes with greater detail. But in the middle of, uh, but in the middle are these six again: Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. And their father's prophecy concerning them is, I would say, far more general. In fact, I, I want to make the case this morning that, that as we hear Jacob's prophecy concerning these sons, we are hearing Jacob basically prophesying ordinary life for these tribes. And in general, we can figure that the prophecy concerning uh, these sons really applies to the others as well. As Jacob speaks to Zebulun, he is is more specific than the other three here. Yeah, But the more general interpretation is to speak of commerce in the promised land. As Jacob speaks to Issachar, he gives warning about growing comfortable and therefore complacent and and even enslaved in the promised land. Then Jacob speaks to Dan and to Gad, addressing leadership and conflict in the promised land. And finally, as Jacob speaks to Asher and Naphtali, he prophesies rich food and beautiful children. Again, do these prophecies apply only to one tribe? Perhaps in some way. Maybe the daughters of the tribe of Naphtali were especially beautiful, for example. But otherwise, the the thing that we can take from these prophecies is, is a description of life in the promised land, which is meaningful, perhaps on the most basic level, in the fact that the prophecies were given in Egypt. And it would be some 400 years before the people of God would return to the promised land by way of the Exodus, the the next book of the Bible. So for Jacob to make these prophecies was either wishful thinking on some nostalgic level, 
or it was the faith of Jacob that we have addressed, of course, as well in the past. But as we see these prophecies coming true, we we know, of course, that it was the faith of Jacob, indeed. Even more, it was the faithfulness of God to continue to bless his people, even while they were in Egypt, but also throughout history as they returned to the promised land. So here is Jacob's prophecy uh, about life in the promised land. First, there's Zebulun. In verse 13, Jacob says, Zebulun shall dwell by the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. This is actually the most specific, as we mentioned, of these middle prophecies. Uh, Jacob prophesies uh, uh, that the descendants of Zebulun would be involved in maritime commerce because of the proximity of Zebulun's allotment of the promised land to the sea. If you know your geography, it was the Mediterranean Sea. But while this prophecy is certainly specific to the tribe of Zebulun, yet it can apply to all the tribes as they lived in the Promised Land. While there are differences, yet life in Bible times, as we say, uh, was much the same as it is now. And we can hear a, a kind of affirmation in, in this uh, in this prophecy, a a kind of affirmation of our lives in this world. We are here to work. We are not only allowed to work and to make money and to enjoy the the goodness of God's creation that, that we earn as a wage, but this is actually pleasing to God. This is the very purpose of God in creating us and putting us here. And it glorifies Him when we do this. It glorifies Him as our Creator. Only let us remember at least these two things. First, we must return thanks. That can be a kind of a trite statement. Uh, if someone asks you to pray before a, a family meal, they, they might say, uh, would you be willing to return thanks for us? But that's exactly right, and it's exactly as it should be, that as we enjoy the goodness of of God's creation, as we benefit from the blessings that God gives us in this life, we must return thanks. And this really is what it means for us to glorify God. We have addressed this recently, that, uh, that the only way, or maybe to say the only place, where the glory of God can be increased is in the rebellious heart of man. The heavens declare the glory of God fully. There is nothing missing of God's glory as we look out at the world around us, as we look out, as we look up at the stars at night, as the sun rules the day and as the moon rules the night. And there is nothing missing from God's glory in heaven. Uh, as, uh, as the angels worship God, and, uh, and declare His glory day and night, we are told. So how can God be glorified when He is infinitely glorious in His being and works? We glorify God when we set aside our rebel hearts, 
when we repent of the blasphemy of self-reliance and false worship of the earth and her earthly rulers. We glorify God when we say thank you to him. Isn't that amazing? We glorify God when we return thanks to him as we enjoy his blessings. So let us return thanks to God and, and, uh, and do so as we enjoy his, his good creation. But the second thing to remember is, is to be careful to avoid slavery in the world. In his prophecy to Issachar, uh, Jacob said, Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that the resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Again, does this prophecy only apply to the tribe of Issachar in the promised land? Maybe in some unique way, but, but it does uh, I don't think, or, or if it does, I don't think we have a lot of record of that in, in the scriptures. But the, the message is really a, a warning, and the warning applies to all the tribes, and it applies to you and to me, that living in this world can lead to slavery. And it's a slavery that comes as we see and experience uh, Uh, the pleasures of this life, even the God-given and good pleasures of this life. We might see, as as Jacob said, that that a resting place is good and that the land is pleasant. And so we bow our shoulder to bear and become a servant at forced labor. We return to it often, but here we can connect again what our Lord Jesus teaches in Matthew 6. Do not be anxious about this life, what you will eat and drink, or what you will put on and wear. And his point is not that we shouldn't be concerned for the things we need, or that we don't have to work uh, and work hard in this world. But this world can easily become a slave master to us as we wear ourselves out Always fearful that we won't get what we need. Always wanting more and more. Always trying to hang on to this life as if this life were all that we have. Some Bible translations uh, put it to do not worry about this life. But I think the word worry misses the point. I think do not be anxious is the better translation. But even then we need to understand it as Not just do not be anxious, but do not become enslaved by this world. Do not not chase after this world. Do not live for this world. Do not live desperately as if you have no heavenly father, as if the promises of the gospel were not yours to enjoy. Jesus said, this is what the Gentiles do. Unbelievers live in desperation to get more and more, to keep only for themselves, even to hoard the stuff of this world. So don't live that way. So yes, we are called to live and work and to enjoy life in God's good creation. That needs to be said because there have been 
uh, a number of traditions uh, or schools of thought in the church over the years, those who have uh, renounced the world as, as if uh, by doing so they could become more godly. Uh, there have been those who have sat around on their housetops waiting for Jesus to return and so on. No, life, life is good. Let us return thanks to God in, in order to glorify Him. And let us be careful not to become ensnared, even enslaved, by even the good pleasures of this world. Jesus sums it up for us, Master Teacher, that He is. Uh, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Second, leadership and conflict. Taking uh, Dan and and Gad together, uh, in in his prophecy to Dan, uh, Jacob said, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. On one hand, that's uh, quite the obvious statement. Dan was one of the tribes of Israel. The tribe of Dan will have a place in the promised land. But Jacob went on to say, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his his rider falls backward. Quite an image. And once again, does does this prophecy only apply to the tribe of Dan? If it does only apply to Dan. It's hard to understand how. But what does the prophecy teach us generally? Not just about Dan, not just about life in, uh, ancient life in, in the promised land. I, I think it speaks to leadership and, and conflict. Dan shall judge his people. Dan shall have authority over his own, but Dan shall be a serpent, even a poisonous serpent, It's leadership and conflict, even leadership and, we might say, corruption. And isn't that the world that we see we live in today? There must be leadership. There will always be leadership among mankind. Someone always rises to the level of leadership, but more often than not, leadership leads to corruption. This is why we need our King Jesus. This is why we need his rule by the word of God. First of all, we need a standard of of leadership set forth by Christ himself, by which to hold our leaders accountable. Second, we need the specific instruction of God's word for leadership in the church. We are are first of all Christ followers. We, We seek to do as he did, to live as he did. Christ did not deny his office uh, and his authority. He claimed them. But he also did not use his authority to advance himself. He is the good shepherd. So when he saw the people, he, he looked upon them with compassion. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And he sought to gather them into his care. We are also Presbyterians, which I say not to separate the church. 
into uh, factions and denominations, but, but simply to say that we, we, we make our best effort to understand by the teaching of Christ, by God's Word, we make our, our best effort to understand how the church is to be governed, governed by members of the church, yet governed according to the example of Christ and according to the instruction of Christ. Leadership and conflict will always go hand in hand. And that seems to be a a good way to understand Jacob's prophecy concerning Dan and Gad. About Gad, Jacob said, Raiders shall raid uh, Gad, but he will raid at their heels. You see the back and forth. You see the conflict, the strife. And so adding Gad to Dan, we see in Scripture what we see in the world. And by way of the prophecy, we see that these things should not alarm us. Concern us, yes, but alarm us, no. And is it not what Jesus himself taught us, that there will always be wars and rumors of war, kingdom will rise against kingdom, there will be corruptions and there will be conflict in the world. The point is not that it doesn't matter, as it does. But the point is that we continue to trust in the, in the promises of God. This is God's good creation. This is a place for us to be and to live and to be here even as a place of blessing and, and the enjoyment of God's goodness. But there is also the reality of sin, the rebellion of man and And our hope in this world will not come from the world, but from Christ, who is even now reigning, even now ruling, and even now building and preserving his church. Finally, food and family. Here is perhaps the most heartwarming part of Jacob's prophecy. It's a uh, it's a reminder, again, that, that life is good. We, we shouldn't need an electronics company, right? LG, to tell us that life is good. We hear it in the scriptures from, from the very beginning. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God gave testimony to the goodness, the, the fullness, the completedness of, of all that he had made. He did so by resting on the seventh day. If completedness is not a word, it should be for the sake of uh, describing God's creation. Because it wasn't just done, but it was complete. And it was complete not just in that day, but it was complete in our day as well. There's really should be uh, considered an attribute of creation called its completedness that continues in our own day. And so here's a good lesson for us, that, that you can't undo the goodness of God. Try as, as someone might, man cannot keep God from blessing him. And this is why the blessings of food and family flow from God, not only to his people, but to the entire world, because they're 
still living within God's good creation. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. Every day, rebel man receives blessing from the hand of God. Every day, they enjoy what God gives, even though they have perhaps never once returned thanks to God. And this is what we hear in Jacob's prophecy concerning Asher. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Was the tribe of Asher known for their prime rib? Or their pineapple upside-down cake? Or their pecan pie? Perhaps. But the prophecy surely applies to all the tribes and to life in general in the, in the promised land. Remember, it was, a, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. So it seems more likely that Jacob was once again prophesying what life would be, what life would be in, the, in the promised land. And the life of Israel in the land would not be so much unlike our own lives. There will be good food to eat. We're getting ready for it, right? In the next room. There will be good food to eat. Even delicacies to eat and to enjoy. Even more, there would be a blessing, the blessing of children. Concerning Naphtali, Jacob said, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Again, were, were the daughters of Naphtali especially known for their beauty? Perhaps. But here is another blessing of God's good creation. Uh, the opportunity for having children, and if not children of our own, the opportunity to live within a community called the church where, where children are conceived and they are born and they learn and they grow, where children become the next generation of God's people. Here is a picture of the church in our own day, and it's ours, to, it's ours to enjoy, and it's not just daughters, but sons as well. Psalm 144 says, May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. And Psalm 104, we close with Psalm 104. It celebrates the goodness of life under God's care. The, the psalmist writes of how God created the world and how the, the goodness of God's creation is so very clear, how it's so evident within the world, the land, the, the supply of water, the growth of crops, the trees, the creatures. Even more, this, the, the sea and the, and the, the work and, and commerce of mankind. And the point of the psalmist is this, that God is good. God is creator. That man is blessed. And that we must remember and meditate upon these things even as we return thanks, and even as we praise our Maker and rejoice in Him. Amen. Let's pray together.
We thank you, O God, our Maker, our Creator, for all that you have made. Thank you for making us and our children. We thank you for remaking us through the redemption that is ours in Christ. We thank you for the church, but we thank you that the church lives each and every day still within your good creation, and that there is so much here for us to enjoy. And may we indeed remember to return thanks, for it is what glorifies you that we enjoy what you have made and at the same time give you thanks for it. Bless us with just this faith and none other we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.